Pastor Sidemay mentioned earlier, I forgot to, that we did have flowers this morning, but we had to put them over here. Um, there's a beautiful arrangement, but it was so tall that it hit me about right here. So it would have been, I'm already pretty enough. I don't need a, a, uh, a garnish. But no, those are very pretty. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, if you have your Bibles with you. 2 Corinthians 5. How many of you remember the country band Diamond Rio? Anybody remember? Yeah, yeah. You start walking your way, I'll start walking mine. We meet in the middle neath that old Georgia pine. We gained a lot of ground because we both gave a little. There ain't no road too long when we meet in the middle. I was going to sing that, but I'm not going to sing it. We are all going to face God one day to give an account. We will receive what is our due, whether it's good or bad. Listen to Second Corinthians 5, verse 10, quickly. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Do we just meet God in the middle? Is that what salvation is? Like a, like a ceasefire or a bargain between us that God has done His part. Now we do our part, right? Maybe we often say it like that. Sometimes God has taken the first step you need to take the rest of them, however we might phrase that. But how do you suppose it's possible for any human being to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and stand, right? It isn't possible at all. Something alien, something supernatural and spiritual has to happen to us to pass through that judgment. The coming of this day, of this appointment each and every single one of us has with Jesus is the reason for these next verses that close out Second Corinthians chapter 5. But it isn't simply that reconciliation between us and God has been achieved by Christ. That's true, thank God. It's also true that this reconciliation in and of itself is to shape the purpose and tone of our very lives on the earth. Reconciliation is one of the main words the Bible uses to describe what Christianity is all about. It's the word that gives us, literally gives us our identity. We are ambassadors of God's appeal to the world to embrace their reconciliation to Him through Jesus Christ. Let me pray and we'll pick up the text in verse 11. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. And God, I ask you that you would overcome everything that is Tony in me. Lord, that you might speak your eternal word through me. God, without the anointing of your Holy Spirit, this is just a talk. So, Father, please be with me. Please watch over everyone who is in this room this morning. Enable them all to hear. Enable me, God, to speak in such a way that I don't lose their attention, that I don't confuse them. Lord, give us the grace to hear your word and to believe it today. We ask and pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We read Second Corinthians 5, beginning at verse 11. Therefore... Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. 
But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation or is new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Back in verse 11. Remember verse 10. In verse 11, Paul is saying, since this appointment is coming for all of us, we are trying to persuade everyone To be reconciled to God in light of the fact that we're involved in the ministry of trying to persuade people. That's how he words it, which is actually God's appeal on our lips. We find out in verse 20 to confess Christ as Savior and Lord. We're going to be maligned by the world. That's where this argument is going to go. Persuasion is difficult. The fact that we're here for persuasion can make us a nuisance to the world. It changes us so much that we begin to be rejected by the world. But Paul says, look, we know what we are. We know what we are. And he hopes that they do also. Because to forget who they are, to get it twisted, to not remember is so dangerous. We, we aren't going to try to find our identity in the world, Paul is going to say or is saying when our only reason for living in it is to be ambassadors. We aren't going to find a home here. We're clearly in a country that is at odds with our God in this world. This isn't going to ever feel like home. In verse 12, Paul's point here in speaking of who they are, all of them together, is not to talk up he and his companions. That's not what he's doing. We aren't trying to make you think more highly of us by telling you that we're ambassadors for Christ. We're persuaders in this world. We're telling you this so that you can accurately describe what we are. Ambassadors. Without being worried about how it makes you look or how it makes us look. Whether it makes us look good to people who boast only on what's outside anyway. Rather than the established position of a heart secured by God. Appearances only have value to those who value appearances. And this is something that we as believers have to let go. We have to let go of the desire, the need we create 
to be approved of, to be appealing to others. It doesn't mean we try to be unappealing. That's not the argument. The argument is, in fact, if you're unappealing, you can't be an ambassador, right? So the point would be, understand that when you realize you are an ambassador for Christ, you will be unappealing. There's nothing appealing about that to the world. And basically the whole world system, definitely our entire cultural culture today, at least in America, is addicted to appearances. Everything is about appearances. People that hate our flag have been posting the Ukraine flag for weeks, right? And not that that's wrong, it's just, you know, I mean, when, when, if China invades Taiwan, do you think that we are going to pull Chinese products off the shelf and not sell? No, of course we're not going to do that. There's always an agenda, there's always something going on, but everything's about appearances. That's where our salvation is, in how we look to other people. If other people think we're good and kind and tolerant and nice and approving of everything, then we have a good reputation. And it's all appearances. That's all that matters, almost, is our appearance to others. Our world is obsessed with it. This is why politicians talk the way they do, right? They will say whatever they need to say to get elected. It's a... It's a racket, right? You have no idea whether or not they're going to do what they say. I know that some do, but most don't, right? We will never fit in in a world like this because that's not who we are. We aren't trying to build our life on our appearance. So we're never going to fit in if that's the modus operandi of the whole world in which we live will never be accepted by the world because of our message. Again, we can be rejected by the world because we're a jerk. That's not hard to do. That's not what the text is calling us to. It's, this is in a, in a text on reconciliation of God's appeal. Right? That's, that's where this language comes. So he's not talking about your personality pushing people away from you. He's talking about the fact that this is what we are, is going to do that. Because his argument here is that the world is obsessed with appearances. And people know what ambassadors are. The presence of an embassy in another country is kind of a flex. Like, hey, we're here, right? We know that you don't like us, so we're going to put this little reminder here that we remember, and we're going to try and make it work out, but people know what ambassadors are when they see it. Ambassadors exist. Why do they exist? They exist when there's the potential for problems between two parties. They're there to mitigate that, right? We are a reminder then to the world that none of us are whole, that we are estranged from God because of our sin and are in need of reconciliation to the offended party. To God. We remind the world of 2 Corinthians 5.10. Just by existing, we remind them there's, there's a God. There's an appointment coming. And that's not the, the appointment is not the whole story, of course. But that's what they are reminded of. Because their goal in life is just to get everything out of this world that they can. Which is why you would value appearances. If you're getting what you want without having to be what you need to be, it can just look like it. Well, we'll take that every time. So in verse 13, Paul says that if we seem like we're out of our minds to the world, to those who judge everything by appearances, 
it's because of our allegiance to God that we look crazy to them. We seem out of our minds to the world, but that's because of what we look like when seen from their perspective rather than from God's perspective. We seem out of our minds to the world. But the fact that God considers us actually sane, from God's perspective, we are in our right minds, is for your benefit, for your sake, believers, so that you would know what we believe and teach is not actually insane. God has changed our hearts so that we can see more clearly, and we know that living this way is not crazy. In fact, it'd be the only thing that makes sense if God is the truth, and He is Meaning we aren't out of our minds at all, but we are to the world. Because or for, in verse 14, the love of Christ controls us. You see, we're not controlled by the need to have a certain appearance, which is what makes the world like it is. We are controlled by the love of Christ. Love that has an object, right? Not just by this being or feeling in Christ. Love is much more than that in Christ. It's love embodied in Christ. But that's what controls us. That's what shapes our identity. We're not slaves to our own appearances. We are controlled by the redeeming, life-creating love of Jesus Christ. The love of Christ shapes who we are. It's meant to shape what we prioritize in the world. Why? The argument is because Jesus has died for everyone. Meaning here that in a sense, as he says, everyone has died. What does that mean? Because one died, all have died. Paul means that now, since Jesus died for everyone, everyone is now viewed by God through the lens of what Christ has done. Meaning the whole world, in a sense, died at the cross. In what sense? All our performance, all our striving, all our good works, all we could try to offer, all we think we could accomplish or become, every effort of our flesh means nothing. We are dead. Dead in trespasses and sins. We have nothing to give to God. In light of 510, that's a problem. We have nothing to give to Him. Christ controls everything. Christ defines everything. Everything has Christ. Everything has Christ as its point of reference. He's the center even when he's not intended to be the center. Either we're living our lives towards him or away from him, but he remains the center of everything. Everything was created by him and through him and for him. Everything, Paul says in Colossians chapter 1. So for his own... It's his love that controls them rather than being controlled by the fear of death to which, according to Hebrews, all people are in lifelong slavery to. So rather than being controlled by the fear of death or controlled by trying to ignore or avoid this impending meeting with God in verse 10, in that kind of life, the only thing we have to fall back on is what we can make ourselves become to block out the noise. To state his point here another way, Paul is saying we are controlled by the love of Christ in the world to the extent that he shapes our whole identity, even our reputation. Because his priority in the world is the salvation of sinners. He died for everyone, which means that everyone has been put to death in Christ. He has absorbed God's wrath for everyone. 
in some sense, right? You say, well, how could there still be a hell? Beloved, I don't know. Right? What I do know is that we cannot take our understandings of judicial matters and heap them onto God and say, you're only just if you do it that way. We can't do that. Right? So I don't know how all this works out and reconciles, but I know that in Christ, God has reconciled everything to himself. That's Colossians 1 also, and we're reading of it here in 2 Corinthians 5. So Jesus shapes us to be ambassadors so that God can make his appeal to the sinner to believe on him through our proclamation of the gospel. That's what that is. It's us enunciating God's appeal to the world. Be saved. Be reconciled to me. This is our agenda, church. This is what we exist for. This is the priority. This is the thing that... This is at the center, and and this is how we shape our church. Will this contribute to that? Does it flow from that, or will it get in the way? And if it gets in the way, it has to go. This is the agenda of Christ for His church. So in verse verse 15, Paul confirms that Jesus is the one who died for all. He says that twice in the span of two verses. He wants that clear The reason he died for all is so that those who live, that is those who do believe on and confess him, would no longer live for themselves, right? Appearances. No longer live for themselves, but for the one who died and was raised for their sakes. He's explaining his rationale in verses, or from verses 11 through 13. Those verses are a portrait of how they are to live and why they are to live that way. They're the basis of his appeal to them here. Jesus died to reconcile us to God so that our sin problem and separation were taken care of. That's foundational, but also he died and was raised and reconciled us to God so that those who live in him would no longer be obsessed with outward appearances and the kind of lives that are lived because of that, no longer live for themselves, just... Concentrate on those two words, for themselves. What does it look like to live for yourself? It means that your obsession is you-centered, making you look good, your reputation, your appearance, your desires, your values. That's living for themselves. Jesus died so that we would not do that anymore, but live for him so that his values, his desires... His purpose, His agenda, His appearance is what we would live for. Implying that being obsessed with appearance will compromise our identity as ambassadors. It will get in the way. You can't serve two masters. We can't serve us and Jesus. Jesus, when He saves us, when He reconciles us to God as He has... He's not partnering with us. It's not, he's not my co-pilot, right? God is not joining me in my life to achieve the goals I wanted that I probably would have wanted whether I knew him or not. But now that I have Christ, maybe I can actually accomplish them. No, no, no. And Christ isn't coming alongside of us to advance our agenda even for our own lives in this world. 
Why, why think of how that obsession with self would shape even our prayers? Right? As though pr- prayer would become this like genie in a bottle to get what we want rather than this means of communication with home since we're in a foreign land, right? Jesus died and was raised for our sakes to shape our identity with the love that led Him to the cross for us. And the salvation of sinners is more important than what an appearance-obsessed world thinks of us. This is another reason when I preach, I call you beloved. It is His Love that saves us and makes us who we are. Love, the love of Christ, is what makes us who God says we are. He loves us in His Son in order to create us and make us new, even down to the very reason we live. Love comes before commission in the body of Christ, beloved. God didn't decide to love us after we did His will. He loved us while we were sinners. While we were actively rebelling against Him, He looked on us in love. That is the basis for Him saying, I will take over your life. Right? His basis is not His need for our obedience. That doesn't exist. His basis is His love for us. That when, when, as earthly parents, you feel that jealous love for your child, that causes you to not even be able to think straight sometimes, right? I mean, if, if, I, if I see one of my kids and another kid fighting, I'm going to, well, I almost like, I'm not going to go beat up the other kid. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to defend my child. I'm not even going to think who's at fault there, right? So if we who are evil know something about what it's like, like I, we, well, Christy birthed you. I, I didn't have anything to do. With that, right? I understand that, ladies, don't get mad when I say we birthed you, right? We, we had, like, we've been feeding you. We've been taking care of you. We love you. You belong to us, right? You, you feel that for your children. And most of the time it comes out in very beautiful ways, hopefully. Sometimes it can be oppressive, absolutely. But in a sense, that's what you feel when you love somebody. You feel a sense of just a binding to them. Beloved, if, if we're able to pull that off, People that don't believe in Christ love their children and want the best for them and try to serve them most of the time. So that isn't a uniquely Christian thing. It's it's a human thing. If we can pull that off, how must his love for us bind us to him? I mean, that's how he looks on us. I want you to shape your life after me rather than being obsessed with appearances because that is going to kill you and I am going to save you. I want the better way. For you because I love you. Jesus chooses to use us. He doesn't need to use us. So this isn't a a bargain of love that if you do your part, I'll love you. No, no, no. I love you. That's why all there's all the rest of this stuff. Because you belong to me. I saved you. I reconciled you. I washed your sins away. I took your sin on myself. I gave you my righteousness. I love you. This is the better life. This is the life worthwhile in a world obsessed with appearances and everything that you can see is passing away. So don't be obsessed with what is temporary. Be obsessed with what is eternal. The first thing to remember then when considering our missionary task as believers is the covenant love of our Savior. That He loves us, even our identity, 
even our reason for living in verse 15, then is grounded in the gospel, in the work of Christ for us in his death and resurrection. For this reason, the salvation of sinners and the message of the gospel reconciliation in verse 16, we don't think of anyone anymore based on appearances. We don't regard anyone anymore according to the flesh. Think about that. We're not even supposed to see people as what they're appearing to be, good or bad. Now that we are in Christ, we regard no one according to the flesh. If when Christ came, whether or not he died for us, it would have been a matter of whether or not, or, or of what he observed in us, are they worthy? He wouldn't have died for us. He doesn't regard people like that. So he doesn't want us regarding people like that. Something happens to us when we get saved that we get this idea that because the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to us, that we're actively righteous. That we're just, our ears are too holy to hear cuss words. Our hands are too clean to touch things that might have been touched by a dirty person. Right? And it's, it's, that's regarding people according to the flesh 100%. That's what it looks like. You're that, so I'm this. Right? Paul says we regard no one according to the flesh. We, we don't think of anyone according to what's on the outside. Think, why would God have us be that way? Because we're ambassadors. Right? If I'm in the enemy country as an ambassador and the soldier's coming at me with a gun, I picture him as a threat. Right? Or if I just see them, I might picture them as threats. And that's why there's an embassy here. That's why we have an ambassador so that there's somebody to speak for us and, and hopefully maintain peace or order of some kind. So if, if we're looking at the world based on appearances, we are going to shun them and keep them at arm's length no matter what the cost. How can you be an ambassador when you can't get near people? When, when they're not good enough to be in your presence, right? We, beloved, amazingly, we don't define people according to the sins they're committing. That's not how we look at people. Why would redeemed sinners look down their noses at people? Again, that's, I know I use this example all the time, but that's like when I let one of my kids sit in the front and the other one wanted to sit in the front. This still happens. And the little one that are the one I let sit up front turns around and goes at the other ones. What are you bragging about? Like, I let you sit there, right? There's, there's, why, why would you boast? Why would you gloat? You received something from me, right? But this is, this is often what we do. We, being saved makes us feel like we're not that anymore. No, 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 beloved, we are that. Something else has happened to us. Something has been added to us. We judge no one by appearances. Jesus said in John chapter 7 that the only righteous judgment is the judgment that doesn't judge based on appearances. We just blow right over that. We will put people in a compartment in our head, certain sinners, certain sins, that not those people, they're out. Even, even if it's not that we... We just won't. We'll get mad at them for being that way rather than moving towards them with the appeal of God for us in Christ. Why? 
Because that's what happens when you're obsessed with appearances. That is a worldly thing, not a Christian thing. So aren't we supposed to avoid even the very appearance of evil? I don't believe that verse is normally translated correctly, but at the same time, just think about this for a minute. How do you figure Jesus did that? What was Jesus called by the crowds? A friend of, tell me, sinners. Now, shouldn't he be avoiding even the very appearance? If I'm hanging out with him, they'll think I'm one of them. Right. But remember, we don't care. Right? We, that's, we don't, our Christianity is not about our appearance to the world. It's about our appeal to the world. So if Pharisees or pagans think that we're not the real deal, who cares? We aren't motivated by that. Our Christianity is not based on our appearance. It's based on Christ and His work for us. We judge no one. We simply act as ambassadors to all because Christ died and was raised for all. Even them. Right? Even that one. We've been sent as ambassadors into the world. Not as police officers. Not as prison guards. Not as executioners. Not as lawyers. In fact, we're so obsessed with the value of appearances, Paul would say... We used to be so foolish as to regard Christ according to the flesh. We used to judge Jesus by his appearance. The one who died and was raised for us, we judged him according to that scale. How he looked. We evaluated him based on appearances, but not anymore. Not anymore. Beloved, no one is unworthy of hearing our message Certainly not on our account. We're sinners who have been made saints. We are both at the same time. We will only be able to regard people based on what they are in this world, whether they are good or bad towards us, if we regard everyone according to appearances. That regard will shape our posture towards them. So we can't judge by appearances. The appearances are often not good. Right? Just, just by somebody's sin or their problems, we're not going to want to move towards them. So Jesus says, since you're ambassadors of reconciliation, don't be like that. Right? Don't regard anyone according to the flesh. People are not their sin. Right? Jesus didn't come to save sins. He came to save people. Notice something here, beloved, until we're in Christ then, until His love has saved us and remade us, we'll never get past appearances. This is part of our need for growth. We will only be able to regard people based on what they are in this world, whether they're, again, good or bad towards us. But in Christ, since He's taught us to see Him clearly, now we can see or should see others clearly. And what we should see them in light of is God's love for them that was displayed in His Son's death and resurrection, which were for the purpose, by the way, of reconciling to Him, no matter how they might appear to us. We need to get off our high horses sometimes. 
We're not here to cause more division. We're not here to draw battle lines. They've been drawn. Jesus has won. Satan has lost. That's the line. We are here to be ambassadors of reconciliation. In light of these things, this ministry of reconciliation as ambassadors and the reorientation of our lives into the pursuit of proclamation instead of the pursuit of reputation in verse 17. If anyone of that all that he came to save is in Christ, that one is a new creation. A new creation. They're not any longer of the world spiritually. To be placed into Christ by God's grace is to have even our fleshly lives completely redefined and controlled by his agenda, which we, which we saw back in verse 14, which is making known his appeal to the world in verse 20. We are right now new creation inside the old. That's, this is a, this is a redefining term here in 517. That's an identity issue. This is what I am in Christ because of Christ. To be new creation means that the old has passed away. In context, what is the old? Of course, it encompasses, as a general statement, everything old. But here, what's specifically old? Obsession with appearances. The flesh. That's passed away. That's what's true of you and I. The new has come. The new way of Christ has come. It's a statement of what is true. It's a declaration by God the Holy Spirit through the hands of Paul. This has nothing to do with how we feel. 517, that's not what is stated. You're going to feel like new creation. No, you may. Often you won't, but that has nothing to do with whether or not it's true. It is what God says we are. And God says has happened to us, whether we feel it or not. The old has passed away in me. The new has come in me through him. So if I'm living the old way, that's my choice to sin in that way. What is true of me is that I'm new. Being creation means there is a creator. That, that's what salvation is. You and I have nothing to do with that. Right? He brings us to life in order that we may believe. Creation, God creates, Genesis tells us, 2 Corinthians 4 tells us, out of nothing. So he doesn't find something in us to work with that merits our salvation. There's nothing there, and he creates something. Now we are new creation. That's how we're described. Something has happened to us by God. God has made me new. God has redefined the orientation of our lives, as he'll go on to say in verse 18. The new has come, a new orientation, a new reason to exist. I am now an ambassador of reconciliation. And beloved, this means that, by the way, the new is sprouting up all over right now, even inside and alongside the old. You ever wonder why Jesus tells us when he tells us that there are Wheat and tares. He doesn't tell us to make sure we find the tares and get them out of the church. Why? What is his reasoning there? It's amazing. If you do that, you'll pluck up wheat along with tares. Because you judge by appearances. Right? 
you won't, you'll be trying to look for something that marks a person as in and not out. So when you go on this quest to verify who's real and who's not, you're going to tear up wheat too. You're going to ruin the faith of wheat also. I don't know how we got in our minds that the goal of church ministry is to, be, to convince half-hearted people that they're not in and they need to get out. That every Sunday when you come in, my job is to make you doubt your salvation just so you know it's real. That digs up wheat with tares because we judge by appearances. Our scale for whether or not a person is saved is how much they do because we're ignorant when it comes to these things. We can't see clearly. We can't. We are now ambassadors of reconciliation. That's all we need to be focused on being. And beloved, this means that the fact that there is new creation in the old means that Christ really is reigning. Even when it looks like he's not. Every time somebody gets saved, Jesus is reminding Satan that he's already won. Because his will is being done all over the world. God's first move towards the new creation is to have it spring up alongside the old one, right? Because he's a reconciler. Why not pull us out of the world? Because he's a reconciler. God doesn't transport us off planet earth when we're born again. Wouldn't that guarantee no mess ups? Wouldn't that guarantee that we can't, you know, say the wrong things, do the wrong things, proclaim the wrong things? Wouldn't that just solve all that? Just cut it off at the knees. The minute you get saved, I'll get you out of here. Why doesn't he do that? Because he's a reconciler. And his means of reconciliation is his appeal through us. That's why we're here. So God's first move is not to obliterate the old, it's to save it. Right? So he grows up right in the middle of it. Grows us up right in the middle of it. He gave us a missionary identity as ambassadors. Our thinking is meant to be new, to be shaped by what is new inside the old. There's no scheme of man or evil plan or evil ruler that can threaten this. And all this about me, about us, is from God in verse 18. From God. Through Christ, God reconciled us to Him and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God does the work of reconciliation in Christ. The church Proclaims the message, the ministry, or has the ministry of reconciliation. As new creation, not only are we no longer defined by our sin and our condemnation, we are given new life as an ambassador for Christ. That's the reason, then, for my new identity. It's not to show my moral fortitude to the world. It's not to make the world see, I am like this and you are like that. And therefore, God isn't pleased with you, but he is pleased with me. That's not what ambassadors of reconciliation do. If we were ambassadors of superiority, that's what we would do. But we're ambassadors for reconciliation. Our whole tone needs to be one of welcome. Don't straw man it. Well, we're not supposed to justify sin. Who said we were? When did that come up? That by reconciliation, what we mean is... Um, you, you've got to take on the values of the world and sin like they do. That's exactly what he's arguing against. This is a whole new identity. The ministry he's given to us in the world is the reason 
for His salvation in this sense. We're ambassadors of reconciliation. We're ministers to those for whom Jesus died so that they may know they've been reconciled to God. Jesus sends out reconciled people to reconcile people. Our appeal is believe this. It's there for you. Believe it. Isn't that amazing? We, we, we aren't sent out as people who have the drop on everybody else, right? But as people who know what His real plan is for us by His grace, right? To redeem us and reconcile us to God. The recipients of His grace bear the message of grace. That's very interesting. Who will I send? The ones that know what redemption is. That know what they have they don't deserve. In fact, they deserve the opposite. I want them preaching my message. Any of you that hire people know, and I think I can say this with a high degree of confidence, you would probably rather hire somebody that has tons of experience than you would somebody that just has a degree. Right? It it, it really is more valuable. And that's kind of what you see here. God doesn't send out ivory tower theologians into the world. And by the way, everybody's a theologian. You can't get around that. We all think about God. We all have thoughts about God. But He sends out the recipients of it to proclaim it. Right? That would be like a company saying, we're not going to hire salesmen. We're going to hire the people that have bought our stuff and love it to go out and tell people about it. In verse 19, this is the definition of the ministry of reconciliation. In Christ, God reconciled the world to Himself. How did He do that? By no longer counting their trespasses against them. Beloved, that's reconciliation. How did it happen? God said, I'm fully aware of everything you've done. All of it. And I'm not going to count it against you. That's how this happens. It's there. You did it. But I'm not going to count it against you. That has to be, we have to persuade people. Again, the salvation of others is not on us. That's not what I mean. But that message is not naturally received. It can't be. It's of God. People don't, they don't, you you would think when they, oh, then sign me up. No, no, no. No, they, they, they hate that idea. In Christ, God reconciled the world to himself by no longer counting their trespasses against them. But also in Christ, when he was doing that, not counting our trespasses against us, he was at the same time entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That's very clever on God's part, for lack of a better word. Right? While I'm not counting this against you, I'm going to be entrusting to you the message of that. Right? That's what he's saying. The cross is our commission in that sense. In Jesus Christ, God was preparing his people for this ministry. So we see what God made us to look like as new creation then when we look at Christ. We become who Jesus would be if he were us. That's the plan. Therefore, in verse 20, because of what God has done in Christ, we are his ambassadors. As ambassadors, God is making his appeal to the world through us, through the church, to embrace his reconciliation. But then Paul goes on to say something very strange in the second part of verse 20. Paul makes an appeal here 
to the church. He implores them, these Christians in Corinth, on behalf of Christ, to be reconciled to God. But I thought they already were. Right? And that's why he's instructing them to live out this new identity. Like, Tony, why would you continue to preach the gospel of reconciliation to Christians? Because that's what Paul's doing here. He's imploring them, be reconciled to God. I am reconciled to God. I know, but be reconciled to God. They are reconciled to God. But they still needed to be reconciled to God. Not in the sense of salvation, but in the sense of accepting their new creation identities rather than continuing to try to gain approval from those who judge by appearances. Just think about the implications of that for our tone and posture towards the world that must hear of this reconciling love. God has an appeal He wants to make. His sovereign design is that the appeal is made through us. And that appeal is for everyone in the world, including the Christians. Salvation is so good and so full and so sufficient that our minds will not track with it even when it has happened to us. We are in constant need in that sense of reconciliation back to God. Our natural drift is not towards Him, it's away from Him. And so even Christians, when it comes to something like, remember who you are? That's a matter of we've not understood our reconciliation yet, so we need to be reconciled to God's way of thinking, because ours is against it. Everything about us needs reconciled to God. Everything. Not just our sin debt needs paid. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Everything. From the mind comes everything. Everything in me needs to be reconciled to God. My sin debt was so that the rest of me could be. Right? So we are at once fully reconciled as believers and in a constant state of the need for reconciliation. We, our minds will not catch up with what God has done for us in Christ. We don't want to believe it. We don't want to rest in it so that we could actually give our lives to the mission, which is why God takes care of everything so that we can be ambassadors. Christians don't work to keep their salvation. No. Salvation was purchased full and final redemption accomplished for eternity in Christ at His death and resurrection. The sin problem is taken care of. Be an ambassador. That's, that's what Jesus is saying here. Be reconciled to God. You still don't think it's as good as it is. But don't you understand in verse 21 how this happened? What's true? For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Not just active righteousness in obedience, beloved, as God's grace gives us strength, but also the obedience of becoming something to the world that we are not. And beloved, we are reconcilers. We are ambassadors of reconciliation. Let that shape your identity as a Christian. And for that to happen, for that shaping to happen, we're going to have to believe the gospel. We're going to have to rest. Because if we don't, most of our time we'll be trying, we'll be obsessed with our appearance 
and trying to be holy and look holy for the people that are watching. And Jesus says, do you realize that I became your sin, literally? And that that's what was nailed to the cross in my person. That all the wrath God had toward you for everything you've done, it was poured out on me. In that, you not only became clean and not guilty, you became fully righteous. So what are you striving for? God has an appeal to the world that he wants to make through you and I. So he has reconciled us to God. Beloved, believe that. Walk in that. We aren't soldiers. We, we, we don't fight the world. We're, we're here so that there wouldn't be a fight. Jesus will bring the war. We bring the gospel. Jesus will make all things right. We aren't here to do that. We aren't here to do that. We'd be very poor ambassadors if we tried to impose God's appeal through force, right? So to all of us, I say, be reconciled to God, beloved. Christ has died and risen. Your sins are forgiven. He doesn't count them against you because of Jesus. So be reconciled to God, all of you, and become his ambassador. Look to Christ. Christ.